0: I mean, do you keep up with the weather, you know? Like you got a little alarm on your phone for the local on the 8s, you know, it's, it's constantly telling you what the temperature is. You got Jim Cantore as your screensaver on your phone, you know, picture of him out there. I mean, you're, you're really into the weather. But I'm, I'm not a weather watcher. I, I just, I don't. I, I just never pay attention. I like a little adventure in my day, you know, a little unknown, you know, not really sure what's going to happen. So let's just see what the weather brings after I'm out in the middle of it. I like a little uncertainty. I mean, for crying out cloud, if I were to look up the weather constantly and find that it's about to pour down rain, that might dampen my mood. You want to do that. No matter what the weather is, I like my attitude like I like my eggs. Sunny side up. Keep it right there on that. I also like my rain like I like my hash browns. Scattered. Yeah, I like it, like a little scattered shower. I do, I love a scattered shower. There, there's something amazing. I've always said over the years, for some reason, when it rains, no one comes by the church and no one calls the church. I get tons of work done when, when it's raining, you know, just everybody checks out, I don't know why. But I love a scattered shower, you know, just like pops up in the morning or in the afternoon. It just kind of, I don't know, it calms me down and just kind of helps me to unlax a little bit, you know, and just, just kind of hang in through the day. You know, rain comes from dark clouds, but sometimes dark clouds have nothing to do with the weather, right? Sometimes the dark clouds of life, they they come in in a completely different way. Discouragement, it just burdens your mind. Depression, it, it crushes your spirit. Even despair, it it impacts your your body. We've experienced that, right? Where where despair just starts to have this this physiological impact on your body. And, And death, death is this constant message across the airwaves now, right? This constant message through our social media feed. Yeah, all of us experience dark clouds, maybe for a few minutes or a few hours or a few weeks, maybe a few years, maybe even a lifetime. The dark clouds come. We we all know them. And and what do we do? How do we we deal with the dark clouds in life? Maybe more specifically, is there any hope for the dark clouds of life? Well, there is. But, But here's the challenge. Sometimes in order for us to find the hope, to find the light, the only way to find that light is in the darkness. What does that mean? Well, let's see if we can find out. Lamentations chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. You know what the average rainfall is here in the great state of South Carolina? Average rainfall. Now, I'm, I'm no Jim Cantore, but I, I got this in some statistics that I found. Here in the Midlands, average rainfall is about 40 inches. Upstate, about 80 inches. Now, what's the average rainfall in Jerusalem? Well, in Jerusalem, it's about 20 inches, and it hardly ever rains between May and October. So most of the precipitation, that rainfall, so to speak, is coming during the winter months. So when you compare and contrast here, that means that our state compared to Jerusalem, at least in our area, twice as much rainfall And in some areas, four times as much rainfall. In other words, the folks in Jerusalem don't see a lot of dark clouds. Dark clouds are a rarity in their part of the world. They don't see the kind of rainstorms that we see. Around 586 BC, the people had some dark storms come their way that they were not prepared for lamentations is a a book of poems written reflecting on the conquering of jerusalem by the babylonians A, a conquering where they lost everything and many if not most of the people had to flee to other countries as refugees they they had nothing it was complete devastation but this wasn't just any old invasion by a foreign army this conquering was the judgment of God. The judgment of God, the dark clouds, the devastation were from God. Now, speaking of judgment, here's a question that maybe you've heard in recent months over the last year. Is COVID-19 the judgment of God? Well, the best answer is (laughs) we don't know because we're not God. But you could say yes in the sense that when sin entered into creation, the curse followed close behind. And so we're under the curse, so to speak, of the judgment of sin and evil. But but maybe the best way to answer that question is to let Jesus answer the question. One day some people were approaching Jesus and they were asking him about a, a tragedy that had happened to a group of people. And this was how Jesus responded to their question. Luke thirteen three. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Not very politically correct answer, right? Jesus' response was when dark clouds come, this is a good opportunity for you to consider your own mortality. For you to consider the reality of death. What will happen when you die? More specifically, when dark clouds come, it's a good time for our hearts, our minds to say, hey, where are things between me and God? Lick Duncan says this about Jesus' comment. It's Jesus' way of saying, beware of practicing a religion that talks about everybody else's business but your own. He goes on, beware of practicing a religion that's ready to explain what God is doing to a nation or what God is saying to another group of people, but that never asks the question, Lord, what are you saying to my heart? When you see that headline in the news about the president or about Afghanistan or about COVID or about a hurricane or anything else, when you see that headline, do you rush to your heart? Because that's what Jesus says. Jesus says when the news comes, the first thing we should do is, God, where are you and I right now? How does this headline affect me? It might be on the other side of the world, but the reality is I could be on the other side of the world. But I'm here and they're there. God, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with my attitude? What does it have to do with my money? What does it have to do with my serving? What does this have to do with me? Because the people that came to Jesus were like, Hey, give us a story on whether this is the judgment of God. And you can spin your wheels and waste your life, YouTubing that question. When Jesus says, look at your own heart. Let this be a moment where you look at your own heart. So whether it's a a pandemic or war or a health scare, whether it's a, a rebellious child, a financial crisis, or heaven forbid, whether it's you keeping up your schedule of comfort, ignoring and dismissing what's happening in the world, no matter what you are facing on any given day, no matter what you hear, everything in a sense is a way for you to say, hey God, where are things between you and me? Are things right between us? Are things right with you and God? Have you turned from sin and turned to God? If so, then the song says that no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck you from God's hand. And if things are right between you and God, if you have been saved, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you will not Just casually, apathetically follow your schedule, your normal schedule of comfort and ease, dismissing what's happening in the world because that's the opposite of what Jesus has called us to do. It's the opposite of what Jesus did. So in light of all that's happening in the world, what is God saying to your heart today? What is God saying to you in the midst of everything that's happening in the world? Not what is he saying to other people, what is he saying to you? What does this have to do with you? For 40 years, God was graciously trying to get the attention of his people. See, dark clouds are gracious, they're merciful. They are God's way of getting our attention, a kind way of getting our attention. And for 40 years, he was trying to get the attention of his people, but they wouldn't listen. Well, they listened, but that's all they did. They just listened, kind of barely, but they they wouldn't trust him and they wouldn't obey him. And that kind of rebellion came with consequences. What kind of consequences? Well, chapter two is going to kind of pan some of these out for us. We're going to read a lot of these scriptures um, because I think it's good for us to hear some of these things because they're not the normal things we hear in our minds. Verse 1, here's the consequences. He has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel and has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up. He has not spared all the habitations of Jacob. In His wrath, He has thrown down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. In fierce anger, He has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back His right hand from before the enemy, and He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire consuming round about. Not a lot of catchy church slogans in those verses, right? Not a lot of things you can use there on the marquee out front of your church, right? The city, the nation, the leaders, the government, the military, the neighborhoods, the public buildings, the coffee shops, all ended through the anger of God, the righteous anger of God. Now, somebody might say, well, how can anger be righteous? Well, what about you? How do you respond when you see evil in the world? How how does your mind work when you hear about injustice? How how do you respond? When you see someone who's a a family member or a friend, that someone is harming them or abusing them or ridiculing them, sinfully or unnecessarily, how do you respond? How do you react? See, we all understand the concept of, of righteous anger. But did you know That when we use the word righteous, we're actually using a word that is best described as right with God. That's what righteous means. So, see, we can make a pretty good shot at trying to have some righteous anger, right? I mean, we can make a, a pretty good shot at being upset about certain things that we should be upset about, but God is perfectly righteous. See, we might take a pretty righteous approach toward sin or evil that happens to, to our family or to some friends or, or sin or evil that might be affecting our health or our finances or our, our voting rights. But we might take a different tone when it has to do with someone else's family, someone else's friends, someone else's health or finances or their voting rights. See, we might have a really good sense of right or wrong when it comes to our fishing buddy or our hunting buddy or our shopping buddy or our college football buddy or our coffee buddy, but we might have a different sense of right and wrong when it comes to that homeless guy out on the corner with a sign or when it comes to some person who lives in a country on the other side of the world that we don't know. And because that's our approach, that's why I'm so glad that you are not in charge of the world. And it's why I'm so glad that I am not in charge of the world. Because we are not perfect in justice. We are not perfect in righteousness. We are not perfect in kindness or mercy or love or grace or, or forgiveness or discernment or anything else. But God is. He's perfect in every single one of those categories. We all fall short the greatest of men, the greatest of women throughout history all fall short and they will fall short for the remainder of history. But not God. God does not fall short. So if God, who is perfect in all things, if He's displaying His righteous anger, it is good and right even if we don't understand it. Because it's based on his character and deep down we want that to be true we do we want that to be true christian and non-christian alike we want to know that somebody something is going to make things right that somebody someone is going to bring justice when justice is needed and here's the deal it won't be you and it won't be me And it won't be the current president, and it won't be the past president, it won't be the future president, because none of us have that ability. Perfect righteousness, perfect justice only comes through God, and that is good. We want it. Because we want someone to deal with evil. We want someone to deal with sin. Full and finally. And God does. Jesus Christ was crucified for the penalty of my sin and your sin. And he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And his resurrection, his crucifixion, his life, everything about Jesus has made the way for you to be able to be rescued from sin and for you to be satisfied today and forever. That is the gracious, merciful sermon from God today for the salvation of the world. So, what is God saying to your heart today? Where are things between you and God? Have you turned from sin and turned to God? Because here's the deal. The people of Jerusalem didn't. The church-going Baptist in Jerusalem didn't. They, They didn't. God kept trying to get their attention. They listened, but they ignored him. They wouldn't honor him. They wouldn't trust him. They wouldn't obey him. And the consequences of that rebellion were not some kind of bedtime story. They were real. Listen as the poem continues to unfold and continuing in verse four. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He has set his right hand like an adversary and slain all that were pleasant to the eye. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his wrath like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and moaning. And he has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. Don't get lost in the Old Testament language there. God destroyed the sanctuary. He destroyed the pews and the stained glass and the piano and the organ and the youth areas and the children's areas and the senior adult Sunday classrooms. He destroyed it. God did that. Why? Because his people refused to listen. They listened a little bit, but they wouldn't listen and obey. They wouldn't listen and trust him. They turned to him barely, but they wouldn't really turn to him. They wouldn't really ask him. They wouldn't really hang on to him. Someone might say, that's that's a little harsh, don't you think? Let me ask you a question. If you get an argument with your teenager, and that teenager runs out the front door, takes their phone, and hurls it into your brand new Shelby GT500 Mustang, and, and that phone that you're still paying for busts all over the hood of the car, and, and then that car that you'll be paying for when you retire still is, is, is scratched and dented. It's all messed up. Do you think your response is going to be, hey, kids are going to be kids? Probably not. So, so why is it that there's this thing in us, Christian and non-Christian alike, we seem to demand that God always be loving and that he would never really be angry about sin and evil and rebellion in the church and in the world. Or maybe put it another way, why is it that we assume that God's anger couldn't be loving? Why do we think that the, the two have to be separated? See, we judge based on outward things, right? Looks, cars, houses, education, white collar, blue collar, the ability to run a company, the ability to, to, to fix something or create something or make something or, or do a hard day's work. See, we look on the outside. We, we judge things by the outside. But God always judges things by the inside. Always. He can't help to. He's always looking at the heart. See, my judgment and your judgment can be wrong. (laughs) In case you didn't know that, you can be wrong. (laughs) And so can I. Because, see, our judgments can be self-centered. If you're married, you know this full well, right? If you have kids, you know this full well. If you know another human being, you know this full well. Our judgments can be wrong because we can make judgments on self-centeredness, self-seeking, but not God. God's judgments are never wrong because he makes it based on his perfect, holy character, and he makes those judgments based on what's actually happening in our hearts. He can see it. We can't. C.S. Lewis said that in ancient times, people approached the one true living God or even the Greek gods or the Roman gods or whatever gods that they followed, they would approach those gods or the God with this idea that the God was on the judgment seat. They they were the judge on the bench and they were in the dock, that they were the one on the stand. But Lewis says, in modern times, we flip that around. We are now the judges sitting at the judge's bench, and God's in the dock, God's on the stand, and we will decide based on our opinions and our personal preferences and our thoughts whether we will acquit God of certain things or not. That may be a modern philosophical theory, but the greatest terror, the greatest horror in the universe is to wake up on the other side of death and discover that God is not a nice old man sitting in a rocking chair handing out candy. But he is perfectly holy and he is unswervingly just. So, where are things with you and God today? What's God saying to your heart today? Have you turned from sin and turned to God? It's always the question. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it's always the question. Am I I turning to God now? Am I a believer not turning to God? Or am I an unbeliever that needs to turn to God? The poem continues, verse 6. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and Sabbath in Zion. And he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of an appointed feast. Get this. This, this isn't like you know, Christmas Eve service you know, where everybody's you know, singing, Oh, come all you faithful. And there's just this amazing, joyful noise. No, these were the enemy soldiers in the sanctuary going, We won. This is our place now. This is the description. Have you ever felt that defeated? Have you ever felt so defeated that, that everything that was precious to you has been taken away from you, that you don't own anything anymore? Can I just say most of us in the Western world have no idea what that means. But these folks, they, they discovered what it meant to lose everything, to be completely defeated, and to feel like nobody could help them. We've been there, right? Right? you feel so defeated you feel like that that nobody can say anything that's going to encourage you i'd say all of us have been there at least once the poem continues verse eight the lord determined to destroy the wall of the daughter of zion he has stretched out a line he has not restrained his hand from destroying and he has caused rampart and wall to lament They have languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. This is one of the most stunning sentences in the whole Bible, but especially in Lamentations. Jerusalem, the super strong, powerful city of Jerusalem, sank into the ground like it had never existed. Ever felt like that? ever felt like everything is it's just completely fallen apart and and why why did all this happen because they refused to listen to God not not for a couple of hours or a couple of weeks or for 19 months for 40 years they just said ah forget it God we're not going to do what you're calling us to do verse 9 her king and her princes are among the nations the law is no more also her prophets find no vision from the lord ever been there ever felt like you're in a moment in a situation where you you just can't see your way out of it you just can't figure out exactly what's going to happen and and how you're going to feel i gotta tell you every time i get sick i'd really try to use it as an opportunity to say okay god where's you know where's the sin in my life what i need to change what i need to do but i'm telling you what With COVID, There were a couple of days where I was like, you know, I I just, I didn't want to exist. You know, I mean, it was just this, this miserable, awful feeling. And I was thinking, I can't see on the other side of this. You know, I just can't see what, gosh, what's the next two hours are going to be? You know, I'm sitting there with my ox meter thing on my thing going, all right, am I losing oxygen? And my heart rate, I mean, you know, we have those moments in life where we can't see, right? There's, there's just things happening. We can't see a vision of, of how things can work out, how things can be better, and because usually we're so wrapped up into what's happening to us, or we are so obsessed with what we want that we just can't see. The people couldn't see. Their prophets didn't have any visions. They're like, we we can't even see what God wants us to do. I'd say most of us have felt that way. Some of us feel that way about things in our country and things in our world. You know, we, we just feel like, man, we just can't see a way for any of this to work out. If, if that's where your heart and mind is today, hang with me for about 30 more seconds, okay? And, and we're going to get there. Let me pick up again in verse 10. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They're silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. And then, then the prophet says this, my eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. A lot of folks, some that are watching, some even that are here with us, have spirits that are greatly troubled. This afternoon, I'll drive an hour or so uh, out toward the country for a funeral in our family. Uh, one of our extended family members died this week from COVID, and I'll be going to the funeral this afternoon. I'll be going to a place where there's a lot of troubled spirits. But you know, right now at, at our hospitals here in the community, there's troubled spirits. Some of our families that, that have loved ones deployed, they, they have troubled spirits. There's folks with nothing to do with COVID fighting cancer that have troubled spirits. There's folks that are struggling financially that have troubled spirits. There's a lot of troubled spirits in the world today. The prophet said, and my spirit's troubled. I don't see any vision. I don't have any answers. I don't see any hope. Ever been there? This isn't just some sentimental Bible story. This is real history. Dark clouds came, and their feeling was the dark clouds were never going away. And remember this scene. This is a place that was not accustomed to dark clouds. I mean, goodness, the last two or three weeks around here, you can count on a storm every afternoon, right? So we, we understand dark clouds. We see dark clouds. But dark clouds were, were new to them. See, most days it was sunny most days for them were sunny they they knew the sun they experienced the sun but then all of a sudden here come the dark clouds and they forget what the sun looks like a few dark clouds and and heavy clouds a devastation they don't even remember what the sun looks like they're so overwhelmed and you know the other thing that happened is they kind of seem to have forgotten what god looked like too ever been there where things are so dark and they're so heavy we we kind of forget about God we we feel so disconnected. but here's the thing about the weather no matter how dark those clouds are and how long they stay, the sun is always on the other side. The sun is always there. the sun never moves it's it's always. There and likewise, in this moment of devastation, in this moment of darkness, in this moment of righteous anger, God has not left. He's still their God, they are still His people. He's still not leaving them, He's still not forsaking them. He is always there. He's always there. When a father or mother disciplines their child for pulling their sister's hair or biting some kid's arm at school or or busting their phone on the hood of their Mustang. And the discipline comes. That doesn't mean that the mom or dad stop loving. In fact, the argument can clearly be made. It's the discipline that shows evidence of love, not the absence of love. Discipline and judgment remind us that often the only way we're going to see the light, the only way we're going to have the hope is in and through the darkness. The darkness actually helps us see the hope that we have, the light that is there. Now, not only was Jerusalem devastated, about a century later, God went dark. God was silent, so to speak, for 400 years. But then something happened. Christmas. Yeah, here's a little Christmas in July for you, okay? Christmas happened. Courtney Reisig had been married for a little over a year. It was Christmas time. The baby that had been growing inside of her stopped growing. And at Christmas time, she suddenly was overwhelmed with pain and despair. This is what she writes. Christmas can carry a cloud of sadness. Maybe you're facing your first Christmas without your spouse or your parents. Maybe you're reminded every Christmas season of your longings for a spouse. Maybe your table is missing a beloved child who is wayward and things never seem the same without them. Maybe your parents are divorced and you shuffle between two houses on Christmas Day. Whatever darkness you are facing, At Christmas, know this, with all of the songs and festivities that point to good cheer and great joy, Christmas recalls darkness unlike any we will ever experience. But, she writes, a darkness that brought light into a fallen world. In the darkest moments of history, God in his kindness and his grace always brings light, always. See, the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. No matter how dark the clouds get, the light of Jesus is always there. It's always there. It it can't not be removed. No matter how bad the clouds are, nothing will ever change the fact that the light of Jesus is there, it's real, it can't be removed. Nothing can change that. Not a pandemic, not economic turmoil, not political conflict, not military conflict. Nothing can change the reality that Jesus is always light in darkness always not even God carrying out his righteous anger can take away the light of Jesus the truth about Jesus is light in darkness and that does something Scott Hubbard says this dreaded clouds are never the final horizon for the people of God never So no matter what the weather report says, if the skies are dark, if the tornado is coming, if the hurricane's coming, if the skies are dark and they're going to stay dark for a while, there is one thing that will never change, and that's this. Tomorrow morning, the mercies and compassion of God will be brand new. Brand new. That's that's in the next poem of Lamentations. It's, It's the one verse that holds all of this misery together. Devastation. But tomorrow morning, there'll be new mercy and new compassion. You can't change that. It's who God is. But here's what's stunning. Here's what's astounding. Five seconds from right now, the mercies and compassions of God will be brand new. It's who He is. It's how He works. It's what He delights to do for you. So, is there any hope for the dark clouds of life? Yes. And here it is. Dark clouds are never the final horizon for the people of God. Dark clouds are never the final horizon for the people of God. Because no matter how bad the darkness is, the light of Jesus is always there.